Hi, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and welcome to Just Something About Her from The Recount and iHeartRadio. On this podcast, I talk to powerful women about how they made it to the top on their own terms. Here to help me introduce this week's episode is my producer, Sari Soffer. We're in the field again. Oh my gosh, yes. It's pretty wild. Today, I met a hotel in D.C. talking to two members of the Texas House of Representatives. We're talking to Representative Gina Inahosa from Austin and Mary Gonzalez from El Paso, who are camped out here. So you may hear some extra noise uh, from <laughs> meetings of other members of the Democratic Caucus that are happening around us. But the reason that they're here is that they escaped Texas on July 12th in an effort to stop their Republican colleagues in the House from passing an election bill, a bill that would have restricted voting, especially for people of color, mothers and poor people. Yeah. So basically, the bill makes drive through voting and 24 hour polling places illegal. It blocks local election officials from sending unsolicited applications for ballots and allows poll watchers to more closely access voters. Since Republicans are in power in both the state legislative chambers and the governorship, they've been emboldened to introduce laws like this. But to pass any bills, they need two thirds of the House present during the vote. So 50 plus Democrats fled the state so they didn't have a quorum. By the way, this is the second time they've done that, mm-hmm. although the last time they just hit out for a few hours until the regular session ended, boycotting the original voting bill. And now they're in a special session. The governor called to try and pass a new bill, this sort of escaping, they refer to as breaking quorum. And from what I've seen, it's like women mostly on the cable networks, women in the headlines, women leading this fight totally. against this voting bill and against other super conservative bills that we're seeing pushed through the legislature in Texas, like an abortion bill. Yeah, we will ask if this is what's motivating women specifically, right, and, and how they're responding to criticism that what they've done is undemocratic mm-hmm. and what we should all learn from Texas and this like leadership gambit. So let's go. Representative Gina Inahosa, welcome to Just Something About Her. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. And I'm with you, although I'm not with you, but I'm in the hotel in D.C. that you all have evacuated, I guess, to. It's a refuge. Yeah, yeah, that's what it feels like. It's pretty wild to be here. You definitely feel like this actually is democracy and action. It's like a little bit exciting, but also I feel just seeing just seeing you all in person, seeing you face to face, I feel kind of the weight of what you're dealing with. How are you holding up? You know, it's been a whirlwind. Our first week, we were just really pulled from meeting to meeting and then media requests. And so this week, you know, we've had now several members who have contracted COVID. As far as I know, it hasn't shifted any of our plans. So, for instance, we began a voting rights conference with some organizations that are doing this work on voting rights nationally. And so now those have been moved to Zoom rather than in person. And now we're testing daily, of course. But otherwise, it's kind of been surreal. So you've been here for a week. Tell us the story of of sort of escaping Texas to... D.C., at what point it was decided. I know I've heard stories of people having to reschedule their weddings, packing families in car, like trying to get insulin. But, you know, what was that like? Well, you know, of course, this is the second time we broke quorum within the last six weeks. So in order to connect business on the floor of the House, we need two thirds of members present. We are the Democrats are a minority, so we don't have a majority to kill legislation, but we have more than a third of members. So by all of us 
leaving, we denied Republicans the quorum they needed just to conduct business under the rules. Mm -hmm. We knew when we broke quorum the first time and killed the voter suppression bill that the Republicans were trying to pass, we knew that governor would immediately call a special session to get this done. And so right away, we had to think what's possible. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure right off the bat, we believed that this was possible. We're talking about staying away from home for four weeks. Yes. And that's big and hard. And I'm very different from the first time we broke quorum, which was just for a few hours. I mean, when you made that decision, you all had a very short window of time to get out of there, right? I think it was probably about 24 hours because, of course, it doesn't matter what I conclude. It matters that everybody's on the same page, right? You're a caucus after all. That's right, because if I just decide to bolt to Washington, we don't break quorum. So it takes a lot of conversations with a lot of different people, taking the temperature of all the members to understand, are we there as a caucus? It was probably less than 24 hours, actually, that we had to get ready to go. I mean, all along, my husband knew this was a possibility, and all along, he was supportive. It took my kids longer to understand, and they don't like it, obviously. Yeah. How old are they? Nine and 15. My 15-year-old could care less, but... I was going to say, it's nice that your 15-year-old cares. No, no, no. He doesn't really care. But my nine-year-old, my (laughs) my baby, he does... And understand, too, we just came off of a six-month session. We meet every other year. And so when we do meet, it's just jam-packed round the clock and you don't see your family much. So I had said to him, this is bad, but this summer we'll have time. And now this summer I'm gone. And so that's a hardship. I actually don't work outside the home. I'm a Mm -hmm. lawyer, but I don't practice since becoming an elected official. I'm a mom and a legislator. So I don't have that worry of an employer that I have to answer to. But many of my colleagues do. Some of my colleagues own small businesses and they have employees relying on them. So that is definitely a hardship for many, if not most of our members. I don't know if this is going to help. We have been joined by Representative Mary Gonzalez, one of Representative Inahosa's colleagues for Another Perspective. And she is typing in the room with me. Hi. Hi. These people are in it, y'all. <laughs> they have uprooted their whole lives. They're living out of a suitcase. They had not very long to pack and trying to make technology work. So you may find that the sound here is a little uneven between uh, me and the representative, but we're glad to have you. Okay, so I've talked with Representative Inahosa about you all have had to sort of adjust your expectations about what's possible here, right? Because... It's still likely that ultimately the Republicans in Texas will find a way to pass this legislation. Still, you've thought the need to uproot your lives, stop the session, take this pretty drastic step. Like, what do you find is at stake for you and why you wanted to, what do you want to do this? What's at stake for the country and state of Texas? Ultimately, it's democracy. Um, A few weeks ago, I went to go speak to a local community college and I asked the students, Raise your hand if you think democracy is in trouble. And every student raised their hand. To think about we are now living in a society where our coming generation literally thinks democracy is a point of fragility and it's broken. Like that's literally what we're fighting for. And at the core of democracy is the freedom to the right to vote. And it's literally being threatened. And it is being threatened 
through misinformation campaigns and is being threatened through political agendas. It's not easy, you're right, for any of us to be here. My poor seven-year-old father had to irrigate, you know, my little farm because I'm here. And it's a funniest story because he's Republican. And so he's, he's having to support me doing this work. But that is how critical this moment is in time. I cannot stress the sense of urgency for all of us to be engaged in this moment. You know, it's not just voting rights that's under assault, right, in Texas. There's a newly emboldened legislature that's passing really aggressive bills. It's also a six-week abortion ban, effectively banning critical race theory, allowing most people to carry a handgun without a permit. And they've been emboldened because both chambers and every statewide office belongs to the GOP, along with other top offices. What do you feel like is happening here? Does it feel existential to you in terms of the rights that are being undermined? And is it a coordinated effort from the other side? It's definitely coordinated. And yes, they've gone after this far right agenda and they've passed it all essentially on every kind of red meat issue that their primary voters care about they've gone to the extreme so it's been a really terrible last six months and you know many of us are still trying to heal from the damage done in terms of just those fights were so nasty and so hard and yeah. so emotional for many of us it takes a toll i yeah. mean the issues that i just went through like abortion how we teach our kids about race, you know, going to the special effort of creating a special session to try to make it harder for people to vote, to suppress the vote. Yeah, that's going to take a toll. You had a very moving story when you on the House floor during the hearings with the bill about abortion. It was in making that choice that I found my own strength. And why would we take that opportunity, that choice away from anyone, from any woman in this state. What moved you to do that and how is it all impacting you? Right. Well, when we took up that six-week abortion ban bill, I made a decision to tell a personal story that frankly is real common for women and families, but that is often not shared. And it's a story about how I was pregnant with our first child and we learned in the second trimester that she had a condition, a chromosomal abnormality, trisomy 18, that is not compatible with life. And so I had to make a decision about whether to terminate the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I had a week to decide because after that time, I would have had to leave the state to get an abortion because our laws wouldn't have allowed me to have an abortion in Texas as far along as I was. Right. And think about the choice, Jennifer. So here on the one hand, mm -hmm. I was pregnant with the baby that was kicking in my body. But on the other hand, I had doctors telling me this baby could suffer in ways we can't even tell you if this baby comes into the world. And the longer this baby lives, the more this baby suffers. And so if anybody can tell me they know what the right choice is to make there, I, I mean, I, I'm Catholic. And that was a hard, hard, probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life. I consulted with my priest, with the sister at my church. I prayed a lot. I argued with God a lot. It just was a crossroads in my life. I, I mean, 
at that time I made the choice to carry her to term. She, she died at birth, but I can't tell you that I would have made that same choice, you know, after I had had my first baby and had another child to consider. I mean, these are really tough choices that families just have to deal with. It's a personal matter, one that we should respect women enough to let them make, let their families make for themselves. It's a private, personal matter. And to have politicians at the Capitol make these decisions for women, make these decisions for families as if they know when they don't is wrong. And so I told my story and called them out on this sense of kind of moral superiority that they claim when they go after our abortion rights, because no man on that floor has ever gone through what I've gone through. And so it was in some ways a challenge of, you know, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me my story is evil or wrong and my position is wrong. But This is a lived experience I've been through and it should be honored and respected. And of course I was ignored. And of course the bill was voted along party line, just like every single right-wing bill that they put before us. Permitless carries another one that passed in Texas. And so now what they're doing is after passing this right-wing agenda that the majority of Texans don't agree with, they're taking away the ability of Texans to hold them accountable for what they've done by making it harder for Texans to vote. Mm -hmm. When I'm watching like the cable networks and, you know, seeing the headlines, what I have been seeing is a lot of women, Texas women from the House Democratic Caucus speaking up. It does feel like a, a movement that's powered by a lot of women. Is that true? And can you both tell us about some of these women? I think this session, we had more women in the Democratic caucus than we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Last session, when we flipped 12 seats, most of those were women. And I believe we picked up more Democratic women than Republican men that year. So women are a growing, strong force in the Texas House. Democratic women, there are only a few Republican women in the House. Again, we have almost half the caucus and the women do the work, you know. And also when we broke quorum, it was the women who went first. When we broke quorum the first time, they left the floor first. They got on their phones, started pinging all their friends on the floor saying, get your butt off the floor, come join us. And they had those relationships to be able to move other members. I completely agree with Gina. There are more now more Democratic women. It's still been a transition over time. And what I love not only is that there's women, there's women with a variety of backgrounds, so a lot of intersectionality. You see a lot of queer women. Well, not a lot, but six, which was more than one. The one when I came in, you see a lot of women of color, black women, brown women. You know, so I think it's, it is a very exciting moment to start to see the diversity that exists in Texas. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes that if you're um, not at the table, then you're on the menu. And so now that we are finally getting to be at the table more, we are leading movements mm-hmm. and we are front and center. And, and what, what I think is critical is how do we institutionalize that in a way that makes us a healthy caucus and a healthy state. And I think that is something we are still working towards, but I'm really grateful that I'm in community with some great women who are leading that conversation. So this is interesting though, because Representative Inahosa said that specifically that, you know, the first time you all did the walkout, it was women that sort of made the decision or maybe got fed up first. 
for both of you, do you think that that is, are the women more willing to take risk, more tuned into abuse of power, felt like you as a woman had more on the line, particularly because of a lot of what the Republicans are going after were, you know, abortion rights, things like that, things where women had a lot at stake? There are two things that come to mind. One is my experience has been that the women, the Democratic women in the House are very concerned about the collective, less about their individual agenda and more about the success of the whole, right? So we make sacrifices to make that happen. But another interesting thing is a lot of these women have recently been elected to office and a lot of these women have flipped seats. So they didn't get there kind of through the traditional, like, I see that I can easily win this. I have the credentials. The numbers are in my favor. I've been elected to office before. This was not like the traditional path. These were women who said, you know what? I have no chance in hell of winning this election because this district's been Republican forever, but I'm not going to stand for this anymore and I'm going to run. So they're renegades who have just taken a different path to office and who are willing to really kind of give it their all and and take risks to make things happen. Yeah. And I think building on that, women have had to navigate our world differently especially those of us who love politics. You know, when I go talk to students all the time, they ask me, what are you the most proud of? And I always say, you know, two things. One is very practical. I represent 263 colonias. I'm very proud that I have been able to advocate for clean water and basic infrastructure for colonias because, I mean, it's just a disgrace that it's 2021 and there's thousands of Texans that don't have access to water and wastewater infrastructure. But the second thing I'm the most proud of is the work that I and I think other women have done to maintain and be the most authentic versions of themselves in the space. This session, I'm vice chair of appropriations. It may have taken me 10 years to be there. Like the person before me would easily got to that position, but it took me 10 years because I was more like, I, I didn't change who I was and it might've taken half a decade longer, but at least that's the way I've navigated power. By being your true self. By being your true self, right? So what I will say is what I love about the women of the house is that they are the most authentic human beings you will ever meet. And it's refreshing in politics because that's what our youngest people need to see. These women will literally, like, this is their soul. And they're more willing to sacrifice, I think, sometimes, because we've always had to be untraditional. And I don't just think in politics. I see it. Even like in the way Gina is a mother and having to balance all this, you just see a very different model of leadership, of navigating the world. And I think it's beautiful. You know, Representative Gonzalez, you said like it took you longer to get to where you wanted to go within the legislature because you did things differently. But what I used to see was women not getting anywhere, women not even making it into the state legislature if they didn't play the same game. So it may take women longer, but I feel like we can be more effective because we've always had to adapt and figure out where we can make a difference and how we can get to where we're going by being really resourceful. So, you know, I love hearing, you know, there was women who at the first were like, this is enough. We got to do something different, but it doesn't actually really surprise me, you know? Right. Time to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Texas State Representatives Gina Hinojosa and Mary Gonzalez to talk about the greater implications of their walkout to stop a restrictive voting bill offered by Republicans in the Texas legislature. 
next on Just Something About Her. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with State Representatives Gina Inahosa and Mary Gonzalez from Texas. They're in D.C. right now protesting an election bill put forward by Republicans in Texas that would cut drive-through and 24-hour voting, amongst other things. I want to talk about how we got here. Uh, remind folks when it was that you had to, you know, break quorum, as you say, first. And so Governor Abbott then, in response to that, called an emergency session after the legislative session expired. That's what you were a refugee from right now. Have I described it right? Yes, that's right. We're in this 30-day special session period. Right off the bat, the Republicans just forced through their voter suppression bill, had hearings the first weekend of the first week of special session, gave very little notice about a public hearing, had people sign up at 7 a.m. for a public hearing on this voter suppression bill, then to only have to wait 12 hours before they had an opportunity to testify well after midnight, went all night long testifying on the bill, heard overwhelming opposition to the bill. And then at about 7.30 a.m. that morning, voted along party lines to pass the bill, denied all the Democratic amendments to the bill, voted those down. So we walked away from that understanding that there was no bipartisanship going on here right. and that really our only recourse was to leave again and yes. not just to leave to deny quorum, but to move the fight to another front that we could potentially win. And that's here in Washington. With federal legislation. That's right. Right. Where did you all go the first time when you broke quorum the first time? Well, we only needed to kill about three or four hours. Uh-huh. And so we went to an African-American church on the east side of Austin for two reasons. One is the Speaker of the House has authority to forcibly bring us back to the floor of the House to create quorum to conduct business and vote out a bill against our will. So they could apprehend us mm-hmm. and bring us back. And we thought that we would be safer in a church, that the Mm -hmm. optics politically would be so bad for the speaker that they perhaps would not drag us out of a church to make us go vote. And the second reason is because the original version of the bill we killed had a provision in it that was added really at the 11th hour that had not been debated in either the House or the Senate that would ban Sunday morning voting, which we know would prohibit a long-standing tradition in the African-American church of souls Mm -hmm. to the polls where people go and vote after church services as a community and that that would no longer be available with a ban on Sunday morning voting. So for that symbolic reason as well, we thought an African-American church was an ideal place to seek refuge. And, you know, coming to D.C. where you could have gone anywhere, we came to D.C. because this is where the federal legislation that would sort of rectify, that would stop, that would override these bad state laws that are making it harder for people to vote, these voter suppression laws. Is that right? Yes, that's right. A lot of this effort has been also about raising the profile of what Republicans are trying to do. And as people have learned, people have been outraged by yeah. this and people understand the importance of this fight. 
Yeah. And that helps fuel our work and helps engage our constituents in the fight. I know that, Representative Gonzalez, that you have a history of working relatively well with Republicans in Texas. You said your father's a Republican. You know, is it sort of sense of bipartisanship or like coming together in terms of something good for Texas? Do you feel like that's gone or that's still possible or how has it changed? It's funny because it's a recent history of working with Republicans. Before, when I was a college activist, I would chain myself to buildings. Oh my gosh. But I do think my desire to work with everybody, and it's not that I want to work with Republicans. I would say I literally want to work with everybody stems from two places. One, of course, my dad, who is politically, ideologically different from me. And it's so funny because you have Gina on the call who her dad is like this mega superstar Democrat. And like, how cool is that? I mean, not to say I don't love my dad. <laughs> so, um, but the second part of it is I'm an educator. So think about when I had students who were different than me. I always had to work with all my students to get to a place of a level of understanding. I'm always saying I'm very grateful that I was a professor before I was an elected official because I take the same tools of trying to plant seeds and create greater consciousness that I did it when I was a professor. Ultimately, as I mentioned before, democracy is very fragile in this moment in time. One of my favorite books, and if you haven't read it, add it to your book list, How Democracies Die talks about the strength of needing a healthy political party system. And right now, I want to make sure that we have healthy political parties that are functioning. Right. I feel I play a role in that. In all of these fights, though, you are facing, you know, you all are greatly outnumbered. Your plan is to stay here until August 7th when the term expires and then go back to Texas. They have other means of calling you back into session and, and trying to pass something. The chances are they'll probably try to pass something worse now. You have redistricting happening next year in the Texas state legislature, so you're probably concerned about that, you know, but you make the decision to fight in this way. I feel like this is a very hard question because, you know, some people will say, well, by leaving, you all are contributing to the demise of the process, demise of democracy, but you obviously have concluded differently. Do you feel like you're watching democracy unravel or do you feel like you're participating in the renewal that you're helping it be renewed from the grassroots? I feel like democracy is under attack and what we're seeing state by state is an effort to do what insurrectionists weren't able to do on January 6th. And that's deny the will of the voters. And so now they're going state by state and systematically trying to pass legislation that limits access to the ballot box for voters. You know this, Jen, these elections are one on the margins, right? Yes, they are. And if they can shave off some here and shave off some there, then they maintain control. And so we've decided this is the hill we're going to die on. You know, we've lost all those other fights, but this one, we will do everything in our power to win because this is our foundational right. Without the right to vote, you don't have any other rights. And I'll say that the encouragement we've received from all over the country, from our constituents, from voting rights leaders across this country yeah. has just confirmed that our decision was the right decision. And we keep hearing, you know, you've inspired us to take bolder action. I heard somebody from Georgia say, I wish that we had thought to do this first before the Texans, but thank you for doing it. 
when progressives see wins like this, when they see courage like this to take bold action, they're inspired. Beto is a prime example of this, right? Yeah, good example. Beto took on a race for U.S. Senate, but that everyone thought was well out of reach and he made it within reach, right? And that inspired other people to run for the Texas House. We picked up 12 seats after he ran for the Senate and that kind of inspiration is fuel for the movement. So I've got to believe that this effort inspires that kind of engagement and leadership amongst progressives to just step up, run for office and engage to try to turn Texas blue. And what has the reaction from your constituents been? The reaction has been, I know somebody with an apartment in DC, if you need a place to stay, I had a constituent in town. She said, what do you need? anything you need, no matter how small, I'll get it for you. I said, I kind of feel like I need a dry erase calendar because I'm trying to plan this stuff. So she got this big old with hardware dry erase calendar. Her car broke down on the highway. She took an Uber to bring me this dry erase calendar. I mean, it's that kind of people wanting to do whatever they can to help us. Yes, of course, I am in a very progressive district and my constituents could not be more delighted about what we're doing. And it's been really great to hear their support. All right, time to take a quick break to pay for this podcast. We'll be right back with Texas State Representatives Gina Inahosa and Mary Gonzalez next on Just Something About Her. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with Texas State Representatives Gina Inahosa and Mary Gonzalez. Representative Inahosa, I saw, I think it was in a Rolling Stone article, they talked about when you all met with the vice president in particular, and that sort of her inspiration, her belief in you all kind of gave you an extra boost. So I wanted to hear about that and in your time here, what has been an important or inspiring moment made you feel like this is worthwhile? When we first broke quorum, a delegation of our membership came to Washington about six weeks ago, and we had a meeting at that time with the vice president. And she just got it, and she got us. And right away, she said, look, I need you all to understand you are national leaders on voting rights now. And she looked into our eyes, and she looked at all of us, and she said, and I know you're tired, but I need you to keep going. And when the vice president tells you, I mean, you have marching orders, right? You do what she says. And I think for all of us, we took that message to heart. When we came back here this time and last week met with her, yeah, it's unnerving to do what we did. Right. This is not our playbook. We tore out our playbook, threw it away, probably because now there are all these women and we're saying we're going to do things differently. But it's unnerving. We left our homes for four weeks and we're figuring this out as we go. And to have the vice president, I think it was the first day we were here, meet with us and tell us what you're doing is essential. What you're doing is our best chance for passing federal voting rights legislation. And in fact, many of us are people of faith. And sometimes you just gotta believe that you are in this moment for a reason. And we needed that. And I think if any of us had any doubts about whether what we did was 
right or wrong, we did it after hearing from our vice president. I completely agree with everything Gina said, as usual. So if you ask, like, kind of what's kept us going. Right. So there's two moments. One is we heard from Dr. King, Martin Luther King's daughter. Oh, my God. She called on this moment in time as like basically a call of conscience. And that was really powerful because I think especially, you know, when we got on the plane and we've been here working and talking to Congress and we are all vaccinated, none of us thought we we're going to go through a COVID situation, right? And so they kind of feel like, oh, like we're, it's just so much and like now this. And so, and, you know, we're doing all of the right things. So how is this happening? And, like, you know, it was very healing to hear her words. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, there are more forces pulling us apart than bringing us together. And I think during the session, there is always energy to pull our caucus apart. And I, for the most part, we stick together. But in the decade of me being a legislator, God, I've been here forever. This is the closest I have felt to the caucus as a whole. Just know that my fate is connected to someone else's fate, is connected to someone else's fate, and really feeling that responsibility and the desire to be the best actor in this moment in time, not just for me and, and not just for Texas, but for my sister, my brother, my colleague who jumped off the sledge together. I mean, I can feel that here that if you've ever had any question about a shared sense of purpose, it seems like that you guys are very much in this fight together. And I'm really honored to have the chance to speak with both of you. Good luck. I mean, you have a long way to go, but I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jennifer. It's an honor to talk to you. Thank you. All right. Sarah, you there? I'm here. So pretty wild, huh? Really wild. It was interesting to hear some of the behind the scenes stories of them leaving, some of the reactions they've gotten, mm-hmm. and just, you know, yeah. the ripple effects this is really having. I mean, there was like a couple of big takeaways for me. You know, one is how the women were the ones to come to the conclusion early that they had to do something pretty bold and, you know, break quorum and like escape to the church for the first time and leave Texas for D.C. for the second time. Right. You know, they're very sophisticated and they're very strategic. Mm-hmm. They know they're ultimately unlikely to be successful in stopping the legislation from moving forward in Texas. Mm-hmm. But like, what else can we do with this moment to draw more attention to the fight? And I have to say, you know, it's like, When people put their livelihoods on the line, they put their lives on hold, they like leave their families, they've like decamped to D.C. as some sort of weird political refugee. You know, I think it does make the rest of us take notice and take it all more seriously. Yeah. And I mean, they're also pushing federal legislation, so they're not wasting any time. And yeah, I thought it was really interesting that, like you said, it was the women that were really inspired to make that first call to leave. And she mentioned that it was a lot of the women that, you know, were elected in 2018 that flipped seats or others that won before that in maybe tough elections. So these are the women, these are the people who are willing to take more risks in the way that they are doing politics and who really authentically want change. It was actually super interesting. I was speaking to a few people for research and one of the women actually from Annie's List, which is kind of like Emily's Mm -hmm. List and helps Democratic women get elected. And I heard this theory more than once that this voting bill is actually a result of the backlash from so many women being elected in 2018. It obviously resulted in extreme conservative politicians winning elections. And now they're enacting really aggressive bills to restrict individual freedoms. And they're 
end goal is to enact more aggressive bills to restrict voting so right. that they maintain power and it goes back to the status quo. Yep. And they think that's really what's at the core of all of this. You know, in so many different sectors and issues, Sarah, we keep coming back to this kind of like existential power <laughs> question. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to sound paranoid, but it does seem to, you know, when, you know, women continue to consolidate power, there are some men, fortunately, not most men, but some men that feel really threatened by it. But the hard right wing turn that they've taken, you know, they're not considering infrastructure bills. They're not considering bills that would actually help Texas. They're considering all of these sort of power lockdown bills that would restrict rights. Right. It's like abortion, guns. It's like primal. It's interesting because it all does come back to that. And I don't think we knew we were going to have that type of conversation. But of course, that's where we land. I know. <laughs> that is where, of course, that's where we landed. Mm-hmm. You know, these like, these are not small. Um, we got to remember the power of our own voice. Yep. All right. Great stuff. This is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Thank you to Representative Ina Hosa and Representative Gonzalez for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Stephanie Stender is our post-producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Kristen Castro-Russell is our executive producer.